Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. No, there's been only one story really this week and that is the fallout from the violent death of George Floyd in Minneapolis in the USA on the 25th of May. We've seen protests in cities throughout America and even here in Dublin last Monday and despite the history of racism and particularly in recent years the killing of black men by police officers there is a sense that this time it may be different. I suppose we'll have to wait and see whether that is the case. But my guest this week to talk about this is a native of Cork who's been living in the USA for about the last 25 years. Gillian O'Connell has lived and worked in a number of different cities throughout the country, but Seattle has been her home for the last 13 years, where she works for the travel platform Expedia. Gillian, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mick. What has it been like in Seattle, Jill, in the last week in terms of the the protests and everything that has flowed from them? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very different time, as you say. It's it's amazing, really, how uh, the the death of George Floyd and, of course, the deaths that preceded it, too, right? The the murder of Breonna Taylor by police officers and and Maude Arbery, who was out for a run one day. Um, it, it feels like George's George Floyd's death was a particular tipping point. Um, that's caused protests all over the country. And we, we weren't surprised to see protests in Seattle. It has, it's a city that has a, has a tradition of protest. Um, but I was very surprised to see protest in, in the suburban areas in Seattle. So I, I, I live in a, an area called Bellevue, which is just the kind of the suburb of, of Seattle. It's sort of like it's Bellevue is to Seattle as Douglas is to Cork. Um, and there were protests in Bellevue in the downtown areas. And, and, and it just shows kind of how widespread they were, because these these are areas that wouldn't traditionally be kind of considered to be radical. So it is from from the perspective of protest, I think that it's 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 widespread and it's throughout communities you wouldn't necessarily expect to see protest in. There's been a lot of concentration in some of the media, Jill, on the violent element to the protests and the looting and that. Is that a fair reflection or is that something that has kind of happened on the fringes? Yeah, I think it's on the fringes in my, certainly my perspective of what I've observed. I I think the vast majority, certainly here in Seattle, of the protest has been, has been peaceful. Um, And I know I would, you know, I I would say that the, 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 the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement have generally really condemned those kind of marginal people who are who are rioting and looting and 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 I'm not saying there isn't rage and there isn't anger um but I I think that part of the protest certainly again where I live um is less is less significant and I think the peaceful protest is really where we should be kind of focusing our energy right and do you sense Jill that there could be something different here as as a lot of people do. We've seen the whole cycle, something happens, there's protests, admittedly in this occasion it's gone on for over a week and then people move on, things quieten down, there might be change in the fringes again or whatever but some people are suggesting that there is something different in this. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I can I can only give you my personal perspective on it. But I think I will say for myself as a, as a white person living in America, it, it has been absolutely an eye opening week in terms of, of what's actually really going on in the country. And I, I think it is even even a year ago, if we've been having this conversation, I, I might have said to you, you know, look, I'm not a racist, right? I'm a good person. I don't engage in that kind of behavior. And 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 that's kind of the end of my personal involvement in, in this movement. And I think for the for the first time, um, the country is beginning to, to feel like racism isn't just like a black community problem it's 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 everybody's problem um and i think it, it as a white person you come to realize i actually i personally benefit my family benefits from from a system that 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 institutionalizes racism that allows those deaths to happen and and so it's actually no longer okay as a white person just to say well i'm neutral in this in this you actually have to kind of step up and 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 express uh, uh, that you are in fact anti-racist in this. And, and I'm sure, right, that's not a new idea in civil rights, but it feels very different in this particular moment in time that lots of people in the community who would normally have maintained neutrality are, are, are speaking out and acting um, in, in favor of the black community. And um, so I think that, I think in a way that it feels more mainstream. And I think that's one of the things that makes it feel feel different and I should say by the way not just people not just individuals like me um but but companies corporations like I think for the first time you see corporations taking more of a political stance on this and I, I think one of the things that's interesting about America is that you know while, while people don't have a lot of trust in government and institutions they do have a lot of trust in brands and corporations and 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 that I think is going to help to change the kind of current situation. And when you say that Jill as you say you benefit as a white person and just that element of it, element of it first could you tell me what exactly you mean by that? Yeah you know I, I think when I first came to America I w- wouldn't have understood that to be true right and it's not it, it's very different here than it is in Ireland I, I, I don't I, there, there isn't that same kind of institution racism right like but as, as a as a as a white as a so if you're born black in this country you you are you are automatically disadvantaged you are less likely to have good health outcomes good education outcomes even if you can you know make it all the way through college you're less likely to get a good job out the other end of it and so so the the, the chips are stacked against you the system is stacked against you um in a way that it just isn't that you know that it just isn't for for white people doors are open in a different way here because of the color of your skin and, and that's true for me and, and it's true for my kids and so it's it's no longer all right to say well I, it's not my problem. Um, I I am I'm part of a system that 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 allows those kind of deaths to happen and it's 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 no it's no longer okay. And when you say that, Jill, to me you you sound like you're talking about the the political economy effectively. But as you say, as a white person, doors will open that they wouldn't for a black person. If you were to take, for example, a white person and a black person from the lowest reaches socioeconomically in the country. Is it still an issue or is a lot of this around the fact that because uh, down through the decades, various discrimination that most black people are a lot poorer and and that is the big obstacle or is it, do you know what I'm saying? Take a white person, a black person, they're coming out of the same street, the same town, the same economic background. Is there a difference there? 
Look, I am not qualified to to kind of talk to the kind of political differences between what it's like to grow up poor and white and poor and black in America because I I have neither of those experiences. But I think that the the situation that you describe isn't even a reality. Like there is no white poor person growing up on the same street as a black poor person. There are black neighborhoods that are poor and white neighborhoods that are poor, and I think they are very different. I think you you look at the statistics about policing that say you know black black people regardless of their socioeconomic economic background are more likely to be pulled over. They're more likely when they are pulled over to be taken out of their cars and they're more likely to, to, to be shot or taken into custody than white people. So so yeah, I, I do I do think I don't I don't think there's any I don't think there's any ambiguity that regardless of socioeconomic status, being black and, and poor is your your outcomes are worse off than if you're white and poor in this country. Yeah, and we see that in the statistics in terms of incarceration, imprisonment, particularly among young black men, the proportion of them imprisoned is far greater than the proportion of them in the in the population. And I suppose those kind of things are stark. They really show up the issues in that regard. That's right. One, one in ten of black men between the ages of 35 and 39 in America are in prison. One in ten. And you think, like, that's, that is a that is a problem in that it clearly shows that these people are being discriminated against, that there is discrimination against people just because of their colour. But it, it also creates massive social problems in those communities where those men who should be earning money and being fathers and being teachers and being mentors are taken out of the community. And so it, it becomes this impossible cycle to break when you don't have those people in your community. How how on earth are you supposed to how you're supposed to get ahead, even in the absence of all of the institutional bias that's around you? And in that context, then I suppose you you, you look at the situation in terms of um uh, the law enforcement and the police and, and, and Black Lives Matter. And I suppose in any society, the police are symbolic of uh, maintaining, some would suggest, a conservative aspect of the society. So does it follow in terms of the endemic racism you're talking about that there's inevitably going to be specific problems between the police and um, black people? Well, that's a big question. Uh, look, I think... As a generally speaking, I think across this very diverse country, the police are good people who are working hard to try and 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 maintain law and order. I I, I absolutely believe that. I think unfortunately they are they're well armed, which is problematic because when the confrontations happen, they escalate in the ways that we've seen. Um, and I think they're I think they're maybe not terribly well trained sometimes in kind of trying to come to terms with maybe their own personal bias and how that impacts how they police. And I, I think you you see that in 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 the, the the voices that we hear from the black community who are asking for better training and better 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 understanding of um, of of people's personal bias. So no, I don't think it's inevitable that police officers are racist if if that's the question that you're asking. Um, but I, I certainly think that. Um, they that they are maybe a little over-equipped sometimes to deal with the problems that they're dealing with, and that the the tendency to use force instead of negotiation uh, is is endemic. Yeah, and I I, I wasn't really suggesting that I, I, as individuals they'd be more prone to be racist, but I suppose culturally and in terms of their own reflection of the society, they're drawn from in a lot of ways. The other issue, Jill, obviously at the moment is the virus and the pandemic. And there again, it would seem that we st- they say the virus doesn't discriminate, but quite obviously it does, particularly in terms of poor people. But um, 
black people again have been disproportionately hit by the virus and by the mortality rates in it over there, haven't they? Yes, yes, I think so. I my understanding is that um, I'm not a doctor, but that the virus is uh, disproportionately impacts people who already have specific and underlying health conditions like yeah. obesity and diabetes, and those are underlying health conditions that tend to show up in the black community because of these issues that we've talked about of kind of, of, of you know, poverty and, and less access to quality nutrition and that kind of thing. So, so yes, they, I think they certainly have been disproportionately impacted. I don't know that it's an issue at this moment in time, though. Like, I, I don't know that people are, are, are taken to the streets because of that particular issue. I, I do really think it is the 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 death of these of these of these people of, of Brianna and George oh, yeah. and Darby I think those are the things that have really caused the caused the impact. Oh, absolutely! In 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 terms of the immediacy of the protests, the other issue I suppose that arises there is um, is there any talk at the moment about possible fallout from all these protests in terms of social distancing? You know, we're all aware of that all over the world now, and then you these huge congregations highly emotional situation over the last week or is it just that that is so far removed from the immediacy of the object of the protests at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, you look at those pictures, right, and all those people kind of up close together and they're not wearing masks and they're standing and they're, you know, two inches away from police officers and they're kind of eye to eye. Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about that, whether they consider it's going to be an issue or, or a problem. So I suppose only, only time will tell whether these protests become become hotbed for coronavirus. But it, it feels, in a, in a weird way, it feel, coronavirus feels like yesterday's news um, and that and people aren't really talking about it that much in the context of the protests. God, that really shows it up, doesn't it? I mean, when you say it, and I, I, I can see exactly where you're coming from, but the fact that the worst pandemic to hit the world in 100 years is wiped off the front pages, so to speak. That shows you the depth of feeling and the reaction to um, to what's going on in terms of race at the moment, doesn't it? And how mainstream it is, how, you know, how widespread it is. And, and you know, to kind of what we were talking about earlier, how it is no longer an issue for the black community. It's an issue for everyone. And I think I think that's right. I think it has replaced coronavirus as, as the as the front page news. As you say, it's spread and, and, and you sound Jill, like someone who's long term resident there. That it's brought some consciousness to you. And I'm sure people very like you. Do you see anything changing, though, as a result? Well, only time will tell. As you said earlier on, I, you know, the, we, 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 the the arc of history will tell us whether this was a moment in time where there was change. Um, I, I see corporations, you know, beginning to actually implement the changes that they've been talking about around taking bias out of hiring practices and, you know, promoting uh, the uh, black vendors and, and 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 creating more opportunities. So yeah, I I think some of the places where the financial power exists, and I'm talking about in the private sector. Yes, I think I think we'll I think we'll see change. That's very interesting. At the corporate level, in your opinion, something has hit home this time that perhaps hasn't before. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I see. I see it in 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 the kind of public statements that that uh, CEOs are making. That companies, large and small, they understand that 
consumers it's no it, our consumers are in this mindset that it's no longer all right to be neutral in it um, and so they are taking much more political stances and now they're going to have to they're going to have to put their money where their mouth is because the the whatever you feel about social media the beauty of it is, is it doesn't allow anyone to hide so when when nike puts out a statement saying it's no longer acceptable to be racist in this country nike's going to have to look at its own you know, racial makeup of of its of its leadership and its board of directors, and they're and they're going to have to put their money where their mouth is to make sure that they are actually a non-racist and anti-racist company, um, because they're going to have to match up to what they're what they're saying in the outside world. And you feel that sector of society could be something of a leader in in, in tackling this? Yeah, I do. I I I I think you know politically, again, America is very different from America in terms of. You know, for all his talk, Mr. Trump isn't actually all that powerful in terms of his ability to enact change in this country. Like it, 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 it turns out that people have a, do not have a great deal of trust anymore in government or its ability to get anything done. And so, actually, people are looking in a more short-term way to 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 corporations and to and to private individuals to. To, to get things done. I mean, you look at, for example, you, know, you talked about COVID earlier. Um, and this is a non, this isn't a race-related issue, but but Bill Gates and the and the money that he put towards COVID has actually changed the course of how that disease showed up here in Seattle in terms of actually getting testing here and and, and creating innovation around better testing, faster testing. And so, we, we increasingly, I think, private individuals who have wealth and uh, corporations who have power. Um, and who need consumers to continue to buy their product will, I think, I think will become more and more. They have power and they have the opportunity to take it to be to be leaders in this space. Right. And you mentioned Donald Trump. We have to come to him. Inevitably, everything everything has to come around to Donald Trump these days in one form or another. What, do we, do we <laughs> yeah, have to? Yeah. But the thing in relation to that, Jill, the thing, a couple of things about it. First of all. Anytime there's been any situation like this, and as you say, it may not be comparable to previous occasions, but a president, be he Democrat or Republican, has made some effort at reaching out, at attempting to heal. In this instance, it would seem that Trump sees in the division that's already there that he's going to profit from division and therefore he'll create more division in that respect. And we saw, for example, him going off to the church with the Bible the other day while the crowd were tear gassed. I mean, is it a case that he sees his base out there as wanting the status quo to be maintained, despite what you're saying, and that he's going to play to that rather than attempting to be any kind of an agent for change? I think yes, (laughs) is the short answer to your question. I think he has demonstrated over and over that he's absolutely cynical and without any kind of moral compass and that he'll do whatever he thinks is going to get him elected. So yes, I think he makes a calculation that says, right, in this moment of chaos, my best chances of success are to fan the flames of it and then to show up with an iron fist and and run on a law and order platform. And I think the the question is, for sure it plays to his base. There are people who are going to vote for him in November, no matter what happens over the next three months. I think what's, what's interesting is, what about the people who are swingable in the middle, right? Like, I'm never going to vote for him. There's a group of people that'll vote for him no matter what he does. But it's 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 to identify those people in the middle who who might be swayed. And I think that's what's going to make this next election interesting is, are those are those people people who really, really believe in this idea of law and order and an iron fist? Or are they people who are kind of open to the idea of a different kind of America? So I think, I think it's going to be an interesting few months ahead. 
Definitely, uh, but that base that I, I, I referenced, you now people put various figures on it, but I've seen around the 40% mark, some people suggest. But if that's the case, does that not infer that that base, that 40% of people aren't up for change one way or the other? Oh, for absolutely. Look, I mean, it's easy to look at Trump and say Trump is the problem. And if we've, if there was no Trump, there would be no problem. But it's it, it's clearly not the case. Trump is a symptom of a, of, a, of a much deeper cultural divide in the country, right? I mean, half the country voted for him three and a half years ago. So you have to assume that there are, there are wide swathes of people who feel unrepresented and disenfranchised by what is what is what is happening in, in America. And so, I mean, I think I, I've read some really interesting things about, I mean, you asked me earlier about white poverty in America. It is real. And and there there are there are cities and towns in the Midwest where where people would have had an expectation of a good job in a in a car factory or a, or a, you know any kind of kind of blue collar manufacturing. Um, and their fathers and grandfathers had done that work for generations, and 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 those kind of jobs that were taken away by globalization. There's huge communities that are are living in poverty because of that, and I think those that's his base, right? Those are the people who who feel like they were left behind by an America that elected a black president that made gay marriage legal, that you know that took away kind of things that they believed were core to the the values of of being American and and left them poor. So yeah, that that base is real and it exists. Um, but but the question is, what about the people in the middle who can who can be swayed? Yeah, one other aspect of Trump that I find fascinating, and it's probably ignorance on my part, but it's the whole role of religion. I mean, the man, quite obviously, has not got a religious bone in his body. Unlike, unlike in fairness, most ex-presidents to a greater or lesser extent had some religion, but his use of religion as a prop is one thing. But the fact that the evangelical constituency can um, gravitate towards him and regard him as a great leader, knowing the man, apart from religion, I'd suggest he hasn't a moral bone in his body. I, I, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, I do too. I, I think I wouldn't say the evangelicals find him to be a great leader. I think they think he will side with them on a single issue that is very important to them, and that's right. abortion. That's abortion. And so in this country, the, the Supreme Court um, is incredibly important, and the makeup of the Supreme Court is determined by the by the president. If somebody leaves or dies during, during, during his term, he gets to appoint justices. And if he puts another conservative justice on the court, there's a high likelihood of reversing some of the abortion legislation that's already happened in this country to legalize abortion. And I'm for evangelicals and for a lot of Christians in the country, that it's it's a single issue and it is the only thing that matters to them. And so they they'll hold their nose and ignore the rest of it because they believe that he's the president that will that will help on that issue. So I think for for me, it's again it's that absolutely cynical view on his perspective that great I can get these guys on board if I promise them conservative justices on the on the Supreme Court. And the divide that's there, the one that he's been able to exploit, I think it's probably never been as divided as it is now. I mean, what would you attribute that kind of deepening divide to? Yeah, I think, I, I think as you said at the beginning, I think it's certainly a lot of it is economic in the sense of, of you know, pe- people of, of all races, certainly you kind of blue collar people of all races having less opportunity than they would have had a generation ago um, and, and poor people getting poorer and rich people getting richer, right? There's a, there's a huge income inequality in this country and getting getting worse by the day. I, I think I think that fuels it. And then I think there's also a, a, a 
there was a, a liberalization, let's call it, of the country that happened, um, you know, when, when Obama was president in terms of things like like gay marriage and, and legalizing marijuana and those kind of, we maybe went too fast to, to move towards some of those more socially liberal um, ideas. When, when really the country wasn't quite ready. And it's a huge country, right? Like you, it's, you can't really think of it as a, as a monolith. It's not kind of one, one group of people. It's so many different cultures with so many different kind of intersecting ideas that, that it's a country that probably needs to, to move slowly towards progress. Right. And in that respect, I suppose, obviously, Trump has nailed his colours to the mast. He wants uh, division because he thrives in division. Anybody who would like to see some healing, some coming together, some improvement in terms of the likes of racial relations and that would probably look to an alternative. And in that respect, you know, you have to ask, unfortunately, is Joe Biden the best thing they can come up with? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Like, would you want to be president of America? Oh, in the morning, chill. No problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to you, Mick. Honestly, like, it's a brutal job. It's my view that being president of America is actually not as great a job as it might have been a generation ago. And I think when you when you look at, at who, you know, who might choose to to step up to that role and, and the kind of the, the, the putting yourself in that public eye in the way, I, I just, I don't know that anybody would want to do it. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. We were talking earlier about, you know, the philanthropy of billionaires and, and, and the role of, of private companies in, in the public space. I feel like actually sometimes people like that might feel like they have more impact, right? Elon Musk isn't going to run for president. He, he's more interested in, in putting people on Mars. He can have more power that way. Um, and so I think one of the one of the really sad things about the system is that it's actually very hard to become a candidate and it's and it's and it's very it's a very unpleasant living. So yeah, I think I think we have a we have a lack of a deep bench of of, of really dedicated politicians and, and I'd love to see that change, but I, I think that I think that is a problem. Having said that I'd still be voting for Joe Biden. I think there. I think. I think he's a. I think he's a good man and a good leader. And I think. I think he. He certainly is, is the opposite of of Mr. Trump when it comes to a desire to bring the country together and 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 ha- having a moral compass. I do. I do believe. I believe him to be a good person. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would agree with you there, and a, a, a decent person. But I don't think he'd be somebody who could inspire, if I could put it that way, particularly at this stage of his career. Um, and that could be an issue because a lot of people in, in various constituencies had issues with Hillary Clinton, I think, four years ago. I think it's fair to say. And you'd have to wonder, is it a question that Donald Trump is for a, perhaps the second time being blessed in his opponent? I, I, I think it's a very different proposition than, than Hillary Clinton. I don't think you could underestimate um, the kind of the sexism that under undercut a lot of people's views about Hillary. Um, I, I, th- I think you'll find Joe Biden to be a very different kind of opponent. And I think he will make a very intelligent choice in his vice president candidate. I'm very much looking forward to seeing who that is. He's promised it'll be a woman. Um, and so it'll be very interesting to see who that is. And I think that'll be a big part of the of the inspiration that he'll create. Do you think the events of the last 10 days will swing things one way or the other or certainly swing the vote, whether decisively or otherwise? Ask me in November and I'll tell you, but <laughs> I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know that people's, I, I think people are so entrenched either way. 
I, I, I don't know that it's these kind of events are going to make that much difference. I think the economy will make a huge difference. Um, I think I think the, the impact that COVID has had on the economy will go, goes against Mr. Trump. I think that's helpful for us. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you move those people in the middle. I, I don't know that um, the rhetoric that we're going to be hearing from, from Donald about, about law and order and an iron fist, I don't know if that will appeal to those people in the middle or not. So, Yeah, he's... He, 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 he seems to be looking to the, the playbook of Richard Nixon, which was 68. What's that? That's 52 years ago. Uh, the interesting difference, I suppose, there's the demographic, whatever about attitudes. The demographic in that 50 years would have changed somewhat in the States, um, whether or not that would be decisive one way or the other. One other thing, Jill, some people you hear muttering that... Um, the way Mr. Trump has evolved and the way his base has evolved, that some people are saying that if he were to lose, is he going to relinquish office? Is, 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 do you know what I mean? Is, is there a, have things got that crazy? No, no. Right. I, I, I wouldn't. I think that's an interesting conspiracy theory. I don't. I, I think he will relinquish office. I, I think. I, I think he is propped up by the Republican Party, which is still has some legitimacy in politics. And the, I think the peaceful transfer of power is such a fundamental to kind of the, 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 the running of the country that I, I, I think he'll give up peacefully. I think he'll be nasty. I think he'll, he'll do his usual, he'll say horrible things on, uh, out the door. But I, I do think he will relinquish power regardless if he, if he loses the election. Apart from his persona, and it's very difficult to avoid such an elephant in the room, but in your opinion, has division uh, in the States got worse over the last four years of his term? You know, it's, it's interesting. I live in Seattle, right, where it's, it's, it doesn't feel like the rest of the country. It, it, it's, very, it's very liberal. It's very, um, it's very, like, it's full of tech companies, people who believe in science. And, you know, it's, and, and, and I think, I think so. I don't see it right in 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 my day to day. It doesn't it doesn't show up in my life that that divide. Um, but I would say I would cautiously say yes, probably that his rhetoric kind of fans plan, the flames of that difference, and 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 that he certainly, as you said earlier, thri- thrives on that divide. So although he is a symptom of it, he he continues to be a cause of it too. And somebody like yourself, you've been there as I said over twenty years. You, you you've obviously made a pretty good life for yourself there. You've kids. Are you optimistic about the future of the country the same way that, you know, traditionally in this country, we looked to America as, as a place for the future, a place where, you know, had far more opportunity. Do you still see that there? Are you optimistic about the future for the country? Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things I love about the country is that it is full of optimists, you know, just in, on an individual level, people here fundamentally believe in their own personal ability to make change in the world in, in a way that people in Ireland and England just don't, you know, people just think, oh, if I have enough, get up and go, I can, I can make change. And that is a very, that is very core to what it is to, to be American, I think. Um, so yeah, I am optimistic because I, I think, I think the country is full of people who have that sort of self-belief and that drive. And, and like I said earlier, I do feel like this is a, this feels like a tipping point. I, I, it's never felt to me like this before in the 25 years I've been here, that these that these issues are being brought to the forefront and they and they absolutely will not be ignored. So um so yes, I'm I'm very optimistic about about change. 
Gillian O'Connell, thank you very much for joining us and we may well check in with you again ahead of the election. Be interesting to see how things develop from this point. Thanks very much, Gillian. Thanks, Mick. I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon and Sound. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, all the usual platforms. And you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on the Twitter machine at at MickCliff. See you soon, folks. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.